come. Walk down the winding path. Don't mind the spooks and monsters. They stay hidden within the trees. There are mysteries in this world that you need to know, and paranormal truths that need to be told. Come, step up into the caravan, where we share tales of old, as well as new accounts about things you thought only existed in your nightmares. special shout out to our patrons, Jose, Frater Mutata in Lumine, Victoria, Donna, Kadrick, and Rachel. Thank you. We love you. Welcome back, traveler, to the Caravan Library of Lore. Lady Anne and I have a very special guest this evening, Seth Breedlove from Small Town Monsters. The night of this premiering, December 15th, 2020, is the release date of the newest Small Town Monsters film, The Mark of the Bell Witch. We invited Seth on the show to discuss his um, creation of the show, his inspiration behind the documentary, and the lore behind the legend. We hope that you will enjoy this discussion just as much as we enjoyed talking to Seth, and this intro had to be re-recorded as we had some technical issues in the beginning, so please forgive us as we jump right into the discussion. I think it's important, before we go too deep into this, for you to give Mm -hmm. us a brief rundown of the story of the Bell Witch for anyone who may be unfamiliar. I mean, there's a reason I asked you to be in the movie, and that's so I didn't have to do this. Um, Just the highlights. So, highlights. Yeah, I mean, and I will do that for sure. Um, But I also guess I'll talk a little bit about, like, what I wanted the movie to be, which is, like, when I had originally talked to you, I think we had talked a little bit about, like, maybe an updating on, on the, I know if I didn't talk to you about this, it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to do an update on the legend and and kind of bring people up to present day on where things stood. And like that maybe the present day stuff would play a very large role in the movie. And I, I knew from talking to Tim that he had had his own experiences with mystery lights and stuff. And I was finding ways mentally to like connect the dots between the original story and present day activity and then we just did not do that in any way. So this is not <laughs> exactly what I had originally intended, but I find that like 80% of our movies are that. Like I think of one thing and then it changes drastically. Mothman Legacy did that as well. Our movie is a retelling of Ingram's book, um, which does include our family troubles. And it is very much... Honestly, I think it might be the first time we've done this, and and uh, but it is a a as straightforward a retelling of a an event as it gets. We really didn't set out to like rewrite the history books here or anything. We kind of just wanted to put the story in a very easy to follow format and tell the story of the bells and how they encountered this um, vengeful entity that moved into their house around eighteen seventeen and grew in power for five years until she four years until she killed John, the uh, patriarch of the family, and then uh, took off. 
and that's the movie we made. And I mean, it is like, I don't know how else to put it. Like it's, uh, I am not the guy to, to synopsize our movies ever. Um, no, I so think like, that works though. Yeah. So like it's, it's, it is, that is what it is. It's, uh, the way I started thinking of it at some point was like, it is very much like you're sitting down at a campfire and all these historians and authors and folklorists and Kent state professors are um, <laughs> telling you a ghost story and that's what you're hearing. And, and, you know, amidst that we scatter in some clues as to what may have actually happened. And we allow three of the the primary historians connected to the to the Bell Witch legend that are are sort of in and around Tennessee to talk about the legend, but also we we get to explore a little bit about who they are as people, I think as well. And then when we were making it, I told Zach I wanted it to be a police procedural meets a haunted house movie. And I think like in watching it, that's what you ended up with. Like visually the the haunted house sequences are the the black and white scenes and the police procedural moments are your scenes with the historians, which are very like gritty and handheld. And then the documentary kind of resides somewhere in between the two. The doc, like what I mean, it's like the the interviews and stuff like that. Right. What was it about this story that drew you in to add it to the small town monsters roster? I could mess with Jason. Oh, like it really is that simple. And I keep getting asked this question and I just, um, Jason is like one of my oldest friends, Jason, you he does our sound design typically, um, not sound design, but the sound recording and, and, uh, production, uh, production management. And, um, as a kid, he was absolutely horrified of the bell witch. And I thought that was hilarious. So in like 2017, we first started kicking around the idea of doing something like this. And then when Heather started having like dreams about it, I knew we had to do it because then we could really mess with him and we might all die. So that'd be hilarious. Um, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah. Be great. So, so yeah, it really was like, let's, um, let's mess with Jason and make this movie. And then he got out of it by a pandemic hitting. And he, was, he was in no way involved in the production of this movie. So so yeah, it's uh, it was just it was. I mean, the thing is though, once that that was like the initial push right. to do it. But once I got into researching it for myself, I found that I was super fascinated by the story, and probably more so than anything we've done in the last few years. Uh, to where I just I read all the books I could find on it, all the literature I could find on it. I read a lot of like articles online, and then the other thing I did on this one that I've never done it's just been hours and hours on the phone with one of the key players in the movie, which is Tim. Like Tim and I talked on the phone for probably like five or six hours leading up to the production of the movie. And uh, to the point where like, I would call him out of the blue and like, we'd just talk about whatever life stuff, but then inevitably it would turn to like the bell witch story. And, um, and I think those real life glimpses behind the legend were what really made me excited about it. Things like Drury being married and John Bell, uh, John Bell being buried amongst his slaves and things like, you know, like the little mundane things were what really drew me to the whole thing. I grew up in a family too, that was sort of like 
I mean, I was surrounded by history all of my childhood. My parents owned a historical bookstore. But well, my mom owned a historical bookstore and my dad owned a craft store. But um, every weekend we traveled and did book shows basically from like March until November every year. And so I was just constantly either at, at listening to some guy talk about the Civil War or the American Revolution or former presidents or all these sorts of things. So I grew up around history. So I was super excited about the fact that we were doing a story that was entirely, you know, history based. And I'm really excited to hear all the people that love tell you or whine about the fact that we didn't like go out with a spirit box and try to find the bell witch or whatever. Sorry, no offense. Hell, your lovers. Wow. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So I'm sure that uh, you probably also had some conversations with Tim um, about history. I mean, he's mm -hmm. a town historian. And yeah. from what I recall, huge into Civil War discussions, um, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, though, we spent more time talking about their local... I know that we talked a little bit about the Civil War because I I had been aware of, now that I started talking about this, I can't remember what it's called. What's the little like historic um, state park that's nearby the um, where Adam Station so, sort of derived from? I cannot remember the name of this place. Port uh, something. Port Royal. Port Royal. Port Royal. Yeah. So I, I swear at some point in my life, I had been to Port Royal. Mm -hmm. So we had talked a little bit about the history of that because I was curious if I was misremembering the place. And I'm still convinced I'd been there at some point, but my mom's insistent we'd never been there. So, so I have, yeah, I have uh, spent a lot of time talking about history. I don't know that we got into the Civil War. Honestly, I'm not super into the Civil War. I think because mm -hmm. I grew up around it, I, I kind of, <laughs> yeah, I kind of am burned out on hearing about it. I was more interested in the tobacco wars and, mm. and then the life of like, Elizabeth after the death of her father was like super interesting to me and like learning things about the family and what life at that time would have been like. And then I got really interested in, in, in like the slavery side of things and how life was for, for those people, you know, like how, how they lived and how they um, functioned at that time. And we talked a lot about, not just him, but um, John Baker Jr. and I talked on the phone about this as well because I had to do the same thing with John. You basically had to get him on the phone and then kind of talk him into being in it. Yeah. Um, and John Baker Jr. and I talked about the same thing was that every documentary that approaches the story leaves the slavery angle out entirely. Mm -hmm. And it's a very touchy subject. So you, because I think the fear is if you acknowledge that the Bells had slaves, then the the sort of immediate reaction is to view them as the antagonists of the story, which if you're making a documentary that's supposed to be scary or whatever, you want to paint them as these innocent protagonists who are being beset upon by, you know, a wicked witch. But that just like wasn't the case. And, and they did own slaves, just like most of the other most of the people in the area at that time. So once I got into that, I wanted to know more about that way of life like what was it like to be a slave at that point in time there's a reason like we put that in the movie and um mostly it's just historical context like i wanted people to live inside the 18 the early 1800s and understand what life would have been like back then 
And so I don't know. I wish we could have done more with it, but like most things in this movie, I felt like we reached a point where we had to start trimming certain things out or risk it mm -hmm. being a two hour long historical epic. And I just didn't want right. to get into that, but there's so much to, to that. I mean, John brought, John Baker Jr. brought these um, just boxes of documents to Bellwood to show us. Mm -hmm. And we photographed them and filmed them and stuff. And, and hardly any of that stuff is in the movie. But that's because there's, you know, you run into the time. But I was so fascinated by one particular photo he had, which was all the, all the slaves gathered outside of, uh, there, there was a baptism and they were gathered outside of the church. I remember thinking it was so interesting that that they were worshiping at that point in time with everything going on in their lives that they were still doing that. So yeah, anyway, I have no idea what the question was or how I got off on this, but it was oh, what drew me to the story. It was a lot of little things. Like once we got into the once we got into making the movie, it was all all the little things. And I find with every project I get some some little like aspect of the story tends to be what I respond very heavily to. I never, it's never just like, that's a cool monster. I want to make a movie about it. Like it's right. not that right. the, like as far as the bell, Witch herself, I, the thing that fascinates me the most about that quote unquote character is she has such a specific personality. And I think that mm -hmm. speaks to the potential for this to be real in some respects, because if she's a fictional character, she is she has more life in her than most fictional characters that I've read. You know how she might respond or react to things, or or sometimes you don't. It's just if she's a fictional character, the person that invented her and instilled her with that personality was so specifically minded about her that he had to have spent years fleshing her out before working on that character in my mind anyway right and it's not just wow. her sometimes in the story either mm -hmm. right you mean like the witch family <laughs> yeah yeah i mean well i mean the witch family is interesting too the, so yeah you're referencing this this is weird because you told this story in the movie and now I'm like telling it to you. Um, um, so yeah, the wish family event was like, I'm going to tell this wrong and you're going to like correct me or something. This is all payback, no, isn't it? I'll be quiet. I will just um, let you go. We'll do fact check after. Well, I mean, wrong. You know? The good thing is that I'm so bad at synopsizing these stories that it's going to be a, a two second thing anyway. But yeah, the, the witch family event was like this family of voices moves into the to the bell home around the same time of the bell witch uh, disturbances. And especially like I think it was right around the same time where John Bell's sickness was really accelerating, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, it's, a it's a family of like four voices, uh, or three, is it three? Four. It's four, three, yeah. it's four. And I only know three of the names. So don't, don't even yeah, bother. Fine. It's like Jerusalem, Cypography, which isn't a real name. Get out of here. And, <laughs> oh, now I forgot the other one. So I know two of the names, Mathematics, um, mathematics and, and um, division. Oh, yeah. black dog. Yeah. 
Uh, wow. Wow. <laughs> geometry. Uh, so they, they move into the house and they create a lot of chaos for a short period of time until eventually they, they move away. Mm-hmm. I'm not going into the whole story about getting yeah. shot at and all that right, stuff. So, yeah. and the interesting thing, <clears throat> the other, I just talked about this with someone and it really got me thinking about structurally. If this was a made up story, Ingram's a maniac. Like you can't, <laughs> if this is entirely a made up story, the guy's a moron because it, you could have done something so much more interesting with this. As a filmmaker who was trying to tell the story, one thing that frustrated me in the telling and something that I actually had to play around with in the timeline, I had to move the timeline around to make this work. In reality, the way that Ingram tells the story, there's no buildup to John Bell's death. It's not like events are accelerating toward that. Things are just happening and they Mm -hmm. consistently happening. And you're here like, I know talking to Pat, Pat told me you have to be really careful or this is going to become just a series of unconnected events because that's how it reads. Like when you're yeah. reading the, the bell, Witch book, it, it all just plays out and it's like event after event after event. And as a movie that doesn't work as a book, it almost doesn't work. <laughs> um, so uh, if I was writing, if I was Ingram, you would have a driving, like you were leading towards something kind of like how in the Mothman you're heading toward the collapse of the silver bridge. Right. Mm-hmm. In this, you're not heading toward John Bell's death. It's just like a bunch of random stuff happens and then John Bell dies and and you're there. Yeah, if Ingram, if the entire thing's made up, then then in that respect, Ingram could have done a much better job of creating a fabricated spirit story out of whole cloth. IMO. Right. So uh, this is just for my own personal thing. Earlier, you said that this is payback. Uh, some of these questions. Can you explain oh God. what, why I would be trying to pay you back, Seth Friedlove? I've tried to explain this to you, though. There's no reason. There's nothing. To, there's there should be no ill will harbored toward me. Um, I oh, I n- n- realized early on in the editing of this movie that I was not going to include narration, mm-hmm. and. And initially, this movie was going to be heavily narrated because we really needed to be able to dive back and forth from those narrated segments, which would help establish what the legend of the story is into the present day interviews with folks like yourself and Tim Henson, where you would set the record straight on things, which is (laughs) ironic given what I ended up doing to you. But um. But the fact is, like, once I got into the edit, I realized that this was probably our our best chance at returning to something like that Minerva Monster style of documentary where we didn't have a narrator, where you did not have someone interjecting massive amounts of exposition. And so instead, what you have is Lauren Ashley Carter acting as the voice of Ingram's book. And... All that does is help tie those sections together, but in a way, she's she's simply another narrator, uh, not narrator, but like an interviewee almost, where she's she's pretty much just reading. She is just reading Ingram's book. So when we got in, there were some things I had to have in here, and one of them was this thing about Drury marrying uh, his slave whose name I now cannot remember because I have so many names in my mind. I can't remember. And we may have found her 
headstone, by the way, when we were there. Bet is it Bet? No, it's not Betsy. It's yeah, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I can't remember. That's right, you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but there's there has been. Well, the thing is, you there, you're not at fault for not knowing. No one I'll knows know. this. Uh huh. I know. Um. So so it when we interviewed so you. Yeah. When we interviewed you, I needed someone because I, I wasn't doing this with the narration. Originally, the narration would have been like, people today believe Drury Bell never married <laughs> because he was so terrified of the Bell Witch. So instead, you, who I knew believed that, I asked you whether or not Drew ever got married and you proceeded to tell the version yeah, of the story that is in uh-huh. That is like well known by everyone. Yeah. That's the version of the story yeah. you told. Yeah. And then I I explained to you that he did marry. No, 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 no you didn't explain. No, no, no. What happened no, was up. right after I said that, then both you and Zach yelled wrong. <laughs> no, Zach yelled wrong. I just started laughing at you. Okay. So it's not. It's not. Yeah. There's no. It's not a big deal, honestly. Um. I, I, the thing is, um, the version of the story that, you know, is the one that everyone knows. So it's yeah. not a big deal. The, the reality of it is so much more interesting than what, you know, right. There it <laughs> like, is. At least, it just is like, <laughs> well, sure. The, no, it, I just needed that out there. What, what happened? Because if we were going to talk I about threw you about under it, the bus, you threw yeah. me under the bus, I just needed that out there on record. <laughs> I still would argue that all I did was have you tell the version of the story you know, and then <laughs> countered your version with the real version. Oh man, oh, that just had to be out there. I had to, mm-hmm. I had to get it out there. So you obviously went down to Adams to do a lot of the filming, and um, where did you conduct most of the interviews um, while in Adams? Right. Yeah. Um, the lion's share of the interviews were conducted in the bell cabin. Uh, I'm trying to think if anyone other than John Baker Jr. was elsewhere. I mean, well, aside from the in the field, well, y- yours, yeah. yours was conducted in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, John, as far as yeah, the lion's share of the interviews were conducted in Adams in the bell cabin. We were in it. Um, for like two or three days, two days straight for hours. I mean, the one day we lived in there, like we literally just sat in those chairs and barely did anything except shoot interview after interview. Uh, lunch breaks were like sitting on the back porch. So I mean, in a way it was weird. Cause like one thing I can say about the story is I have, I don't know that I've ever felt so physically and emotionally connected to one we've done. That might not be the actual bell cabin where all this happened, but even if it wasn't, you felt like it was. And, 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 and even if it wasn't, it was also, it was connected to them. It would have been there on their property at the same time all this was going on. So some of that is going to, to eventually get to you. So yeah, that was, we shot everything there and it was smooth. Like it was a very smooth production other than Aaron being covered in, in seed ticks. Like it was a very... It was very easy, very easy going. We had a lot of fun. The crew was a little odd because it was, you know, Aaron had kind of just come on with Mothman Legacy. So he'd only been working with us for a couple months since, mm-hmm. you know, going back. Obviously, he was involved in in Boggy. But Zach, it was Zach, Aaron, myself, and Andy Matsky was the other cameraman. So it was 
a 17 year old and three old men uh, <laughs> wandering around rural Tennessee together for, for five days, but it was a lot of fun. And then the, so, so all the interviews were conducted there and B-roll was conducted there for the most part. One thing I discovered about Adams that I wasn't crazy about is the fact that there really isn't that much to shoot. You kind of have to go out to like Port Royal to get any kind of scenery. And even then you're basically just in the woods. So it's very similar to Ohio in that regard. Like it's, it's just a difficult place to film. We had the same issue in Flatwoods. So it's, it's like those three, those three places like Minerva, Flatwoods, Adams, Tennessee, they stand out as difficult to film simply because there's very little to film. You can only film so many fields and exterior <laughs> shots of forest. What we ended up using a lot of were interior forest shots that were not shot in Adams. They were actually shot um, further toward, what is it, Clark's Town Clarksburg. or Clarksburg? Is it Clarksburg? Clarksburg is West Clark, Virginia, though. Wait, Clarksville. Sorry. Clarksville. That's it. Yep. We, there, we, we stumbled across a state forest near Clarksville while we were driving around one day. Mm -hmm. And we just decided we had to have B-roll. We pulled out where we went in. And what we found was like this. I mean, the place was overrun with people. But the soil was like red everywhere you looked. It was like red clay. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really cool. So we spent a lot of time back in those woods just filming close-ups of things and uh that was where honestly there's probably more b-roll of that one little state park than than actual adams in the movie just because it's such a i felt like it was prototypical of the area in a way that maybe adams wasn't because of how we were relegated to kind of filming those forests from the outside this got us into the forest so you could really see what the land was like and i think honestly like what we filmed in those forests is probably a lot like what a lot of the property on the bell's farm would have looked like at that time you did so many interviews while you were down there and then you're talking about uh as far as time wise goes having to cut some stuff mm -hmm. do you have plans for what you will do with the material that was cut i mean ideally we'd make another movie you should. Uh, there really is enough material there to make another movie um, mm -hmm. We never got past the 1821 stuff. Right. We never got into what actually happened to Elizabeth yeah. um, after she left. And we never got to really explore what happened to the legend once it hit Mississippi right? and, and right. how it changed and evolved there. So those things were all really important to me and none of them ended up in the movie. The other two things that were really important to me were two interviews that were conducted um, one of them is barely in the movie. The other is not in the movie at all. Um, Kara, uh, she was part of the movie. She's not in it too much. She comes in at the very end and helps to to explain what the cave is and the cave's connection to the legend and establish like the impact of the, the legend on the town. The other is a, a girl named Kay Ethel Dickerson that we interviewed. And she had a really cool story about what she believed was Kate Bass child or kate bass home which later we found out was not the case through no fault of her own though did she get that information wrong it's just the information as to who owned what property when down there is very <laughs> convoluted and tim set the record straight, straight about that but nonetheless <laughs> she had a really cool story about that so i think the plan is to put it all as of right now the plan would be to recut those interviews into squad content especially k ethel's and then kara's interview will probably be released 
either as like an investigative report where we, I had lofty ideas for what we could do with, with the cave. And unfortunately we never got into the cave. So I don't know that my ideas will ever actually come to fruition, but um, for sure that a lot of the, the stuff that was cut out of the movie will eventually be on squad. Tim's got a really cool story that I have to get in there. Pat's yeah. interview in three hours. I mean, Brandon just went almost two hours and Tim's went like Tim was the first and his was like three and a half hours. So those three yeah. guys alone, like their interviews are full of content that I wish had made it into the movie, but we just didn't. And the thing I think you'll hear from you, there will be a certain sect of people that are tied to the supernatural who are already aware of this story who are just like, well, I know all this, but that movie's not really made for you. Right. So you brought up Brandon. Tell me how you found him. He has such a good smile throughout all of his interviews. He's just loving talking and it's, I just adore that. Yeah. You were so, uh, every time you would send me a text about the movie, you were just talking about how much you enjoyed it, how, how excited he was to be yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, well, he, he, yeah. I mean, he loves the story clearly in the area right. and the people. So Brandon was actually the first person I talked to, even before I talked to Tim. Um, and I was connected with Brandon through Ellie, uh, through Eleanor Haskin. Um, he was her professor. Now I think they work together cause she's at Indiana. So yeah. She connected me to him and I forget like how she explained his connection to the story, but it was not at the time. I don't think it was as intricately involved as it actually is. I think she kind of was like, yeah, I know a guy from down there who's into that story that you should interview. And then I come to find out like he's, he's like uh, intricately involved in that and is, (laughs) has spent hours and days researching. It spends a lot of time. He'll just go down there and hang out with Tim and they'll, They'll drive around all the different tobacco farms and check things out together. I think they've become really good friends. Um, But yeah, I was connected to him through Ellie and uh, it's hard to pick a favorite on this movie. Like in terms of my favorite interviews, you know, Heather was really great. Heather's (laughs) Uh, no, but I, it was a toss up between Tim and Brandon, but at the end of the day, yeah. Tim's like slightly crotchety, kind of curmudgeonly. Uh, <laughs> some of the things he says are so hilarious. There's something, I don't know if you can even hear it in the final cut. There's this thing where he talks about, yeah, I think it's in there, where he talks about how he went to college and that he ended up owning a farm and like yeah. pumping water or something. Yeah. And that's what, pe- that's what people who go to college end up doing. <laughs> like he just has all yeah. these hilarious little yeah lines um so tim tim tim's amazing but brandon was really great and brandon helps put things in a a folklore con uh, context Mm -hmm. and i appreciated that and ended up really turning to that in making the movie to help explain things i guess in in a modern day looking back you know kind of context it's funny, like every single person in the movie plays a very specific role. And I've never encountered that with another movie where you kind of like when I was editing, I'd be like, OK, now I need Heather to come in. It was it was funny. It was always you and Forrest were doing the same things. And I was mm-hmm. I would turn to you guys to set something up and yeah. then I would bring in this person or this person to expand on that. But it was always you and Forrest Burgess 
setting things up and then the, the and then everyone else kind of comes in and does their own little thing. It was it was kind of cool. I think the reason is the reason I've never experienced it before and I probably might not experience it again is because this was an a historical film. It's all stuff that happened 200 years ago and so we can't at any point turn to witnesses or people who were there to to frame things we have to kind of rely on everyone so everyone ends up filling in a very specific role in the storytelling which is interesting yeah and so you go back to what your original thoughts were right for the modern the the original vision was even i mean i think you you might have seen some of the earlier cuts there was even some of the later cuts in, still included more present day stuff yeah. than it ended yeah. up like i think at one point the middle section of the movie yeah. where you go to Bellwood, mm -hmm. I had more tacked on to the end of that, but it ended up just feeling kind of weird. Right. Um, like we were taking a rabbit trail out of the main thrust of the movie. Yeah. And spending much time on spooky stories and it just didn't fit. Well, I was just going to say that I really loved the, the reenactment. That was, that was my favorite. Is I oh, was cool. wanting to go back and see, like, okay, what's she doing now? What are they, what are they doing? And then I really love how you have the chapters. Cool. Yeah. The chapters concern me. And I think, Heather, you can probably speak to this. I, I don't think I included the chapter breaks until a little later into the process. I was trying to steer away from that because chapter breaks are great if you're doing like four or five chapters because it helps give a divider and you don't necessarily have to expressly state now we're moving on to the next part of the movie mm -hmm. and i felt like if we had a bunch of chapters it was going to pull people out but it got to the point where it really is like pat says you're jumping from like event to event you have to have something to tie those together and Right. visually tie them together as well as like audibly and, and just as a story and the chapter breaks eventually reached a point where it had to happen. And it also made a lot of sense considering we had Lauren just reading excerpts from, from Ingram's book. Um, so it made sense to jump mm -hmm. into and out of those chapters. Now those chapters were created expressly for this film. Not those aren't like taken from, Ingram's right. book, although I think a couple of the chapter titles may have been pulled from from Ingram's text. I can't remember. The chapters concerned me all the way up until the end, uh, just because I, I, I sometimes get worried that, that will pull people out of the story. This was a story where I was like very much I wanted people to feel like they were in it. it you know, like it's a longer movie than our other movies. It's almost 90 minutes. And part of that was just like. I want people to feel like they're living with this family and like they're in that world. And uh, that was really important to me in making, making it like that. It's almost escapist in that way. It's a really weird documentary. I mean, I hesitate. <laughs> I hesitate to call it a documentary and it's weird. I, I see people talk about like how much they were, they love the interviews and stuff and the interviews are great, but man, I think like we were really trying to, to pull an audience into that world. And so we shot interviews in the bell cabin. So it felt like it was still connected to the recreations and, and the only breaks you're supposed to really have are those three scenes with the historians and everything else is supposed to be, you are in the 1800s and you're living in that world. And the recreations were 
I mean, we lucked out with those recreations because we found that house. That house is less than 30 minutes from my house. Nice. And it's it's called the Collie House. And they believe it was actually built prior to 1830. And oh, wow. aside from some... Okay, so uh, if you take off any of the modern additions to the house, there's a whole wing of the house that was kind of added on where they added a laundry room and stuff. If you took that off and then you removed the upstairs window and you shrunk the porch down just slightly, it's the same friggin' house. Like it looks, it looks exactly like that house. And in fact, like I've had people say they filmed at the house. Like I've seen reviews where they're like, they actually filmed this at the original house. <laughs> and, uh, while it's true, we may have filmed the interviews at the original house. We did not. Uh, this is a this is a house in Ohio. I mean, yeah. it, Heather, wouldn't you even think that like the setting was probably similar to the actual Bell House, like property wise? Yeah. Well, I mean, you go down a long lane, and mm-hmm. it's a farm all around. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think it was perfect. Yeah. I mean, that was another part of it was like for three days or four days, we were set up in that house mm-hmm. filming and we did everything we could to remove, at least out of the shot, like all the modern stuff that could intrude into that. Mm-hmm. And then it just felt like we were living in that world. And I think if, if if there's one thing I would like audiences to come away from it with, it's feeling like they were at least pulled into the 1800s and are experiencing yeah. what the Bells experienced. And some of that is, is jump scares. Yeah, no, it really, I really did feel pulled in. And with each chapter, I felt pulled deeper and deeper into the story. And then her reading of the book, I even messaged Heather and I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this? Because I, it was perfect. The way that she read it, her voice and and the words that were chosen, everything. So I definitely was completely submerged in it. She's awesome. Lauren Ashley Carter grew up in Canton, so she, which is where we all met, Zach and Jason and I. And so I, I knew her through Zach and Jason. She was a Denny's girl with us. So, we, <laughs> uh, so I, I had met her back in the day at Denny's, but I honestly didn't remember her. And I told her that, like, when we started emailing back and forth about being in the movie. But she had had has had a really successful indie film career. And she had, I had been emailing back and forth with, with her about being involved in a project for like maybe a year and a half. And finally this, this came up and we knew like we wanted someone like her to, to narrate it. And honestly, I think Heather was one of my first thoughts for a narrator, but then I realized I needed Heather in the movie Mm -hmm. so we could, uh, so (laughs) so she could be proven wrong at some point. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. No, uh, (laughs) No, so we contacted Lauren and Lauren's in the UK now. She like got married and moved to the UK. So she narrated this whole thing. Uh, She recorded all the audio and everything herself in the UK. And she did a killer job. Like I would ask her, I didn't change. I I sent her, she sent me a first cut and I listened to it. And I was like, honestly, I could stick this in the movie right now and you're done. Like I said, if you want to do a second take, you can you know, maybe accentuate the storytelling vibe of it. But honestly, when I watched, when I listened to that, I ended up using more of her first take than I did the second take. So, I mean, she, she just killed it right out of the gate. It's such a like refreshing change in a way from our other films, which are dominated by a male voice narrating it, like to be led through the story by her. And it makes mm-hmm. sense because the lead is Betsy. 
you know, it's Betsy's right. story more than anyone. And so to have Lauren, you know, putting that into words is really, it made sense. Absolutely. So was it intentional to have this release near the 200th anniversary mm-hmm. of John Bell's death? Oh yeah, for sure. We definitely had, <laughs> we knew all about that uh, well in advance and I really planned uh, for that. You know, I mean, three years ago, I was like, you know what, if we release this in 2020, we'll be releasing it on the, no, there was, I, I, I think you might've been the person that told me. Yeah. Okay. You were? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, okay. cause we started talking about it in mm-hmm. 2017. And so yeah. I said, you realize that that's when the witch started doing her thing was 1817. Mm-hmm. And then the way this all has played out. Yeah. And we, we did have the opportunity here where we could have released this later. We could have pushed in the next year with it, but our, our roster next year is so crowded. And we had really, the, the only reason I would have pushed it in the next year is that Mothman Legacy got delayed by 1091 from September to October. And so it's, the two are being released almost back to back, you know, within eight weeks of each other. So that's, that would be the only reason I would delay it. And I just got to the point where I was like, I really like, Bell Witch, and I want the movie to be out there and to find its audience. So I'm excited to see how people respond to it. It's a different type of story for us to be telling as far as this is a ghost, quote unquote, ghost story. I don't, it's funny, I don't think of the Bell Witch as a haunting or a ghost. I don't know what I think of it as, honestly. I think when I was making it, I kept I kept saying to myself, it's a haunted house movie. Watch haunted house movies. Like, look for inspiration <laughs> in haunted house movies. Because the that was what made sense for me when I had to get creative with, like, how are we going to approach this? Um, I guess what, one thing I'm really happy about is the fact that it is so stylistically its own thing. You know, it's very much its own thing and it and it it doesn't rely very heavily on creature effects mm-hmm. or animation. I'm trying to think of like the number of CGI shots in the movie. I can only think of like two. Mm-hmm. One of them is when the bell witch comes up out of the ground, the other is the hand mm-hmm. over the bed. Those mm-hmm. are the only two that I can think of. However, there are actually a ton of CG shots in the movie. You just wouldn't know it. There it's when oh. Santino had to go and remove light switches, right. light bulbs, things like that. There's actually probably as many effect shots in this movie as there were in Mothman Legacy, if mm-hmm. not more. Wow. Uh you just wouldn't know it because it's all the little things he had to paint out of the scene. The scene that we use in the trailer, and it you'll you see it everywhere of uh, Aaron walking up to put his hand on the wall, like mm-hmm. w- while he's holding the lantern and leans yeah. in. There was a, an electrical outlet on the ground behind him in that shot, like visible. And we oh, knew wow. it when we shot it. We just like, that's yeah. one of those things you had to remove from the shot. So I'm glad that you liked it. It's a good movie. When you're talking about the CGI shots and everything, there was, I was telling Heather, you know, there's a lot of little things in the movie that I really love. And I don't, I don't know if I'll include this or not, because I don't want to give it away for everybody, but I want to tell you that mm-hmm. the scene where, um, I mean, it was the daughter, she was sitting at the table and behind her, yeah. it's lightning and yeah. you can see the witch mm-hmm. and she's getting closer and the way that she dissipates. I, I adored that. 
that's yeah, great. that's another shot. Yeah, that's three shots. So that shot's really cool too because um, if you watch the actual take of that movie, Adrian came the whole way into that room, and and that's all practical effects up until she disappears. I can't tell when I watch it now, I can't tell. It looks to me like Santino might've messed with one of the lightning flashes because I swear in one mm. of the flashes, she looks transparent. Like you mm. can see her, but I swear you can see the wall behind her, but I'm not positive. He did that. It might've, it might just be a trick of the light, but that was all shot. And that was actually one of the first scenes I had come up with for that, for that movie. Mm. We bought, a huge Fresnel light just to do that. So we had, we had this idea where I had this idea where she's sitting at the table and there was going to be narration under it. And then the, which would kind of appear in the, in the room behind her. Mm-hmm. And so we actually shot that all practical and the timing was very interesting. Cause what we would do is we had a Fresnel, we had a Fresnel lights are like those huge, massive spotlights that you always see on like movie st- sets. We bought one of those. And it's actually like in, in the new office space. That's one of the first things we put in there. Cause I've wanted to have it like out so people could see it. Cause it's so cool looking. <laughs> we had that in the kitchen. Then we had two smaller LEDs in the room that we were filming in. And so from the kitchen in the room on the other side of that wall, we were time it. I believe someone would say, I think it was me. I had to say go. And I'd, <laughs> I'd scream go. They'd hit the light and the Fresnel would flash and then Graydon was running the led in the dining room where we were and he would flash a second later. So you had this cool like lightning effect where it was going in both rooms and then Adrian would have to move forward and then off to the side in between the lightning flashes. And that's how you got the flash where she's not there. She's just off to the side or, or you can choose to believe that's the real bell, which it's entirely your call, but I am, I hope people, I hope people respond to that scene because that scene succeeds because of Amy as much as it does the fact that it's something interesting visually. Amy is, was really great in this, especially that scene and the, and the opening scene where John is dying because she was actually crying. Yeah. She does a fantastic Mm -hmm. job. Absolutely. What do you think the bell, Witch could be a manifestation, a native American spirit, do you feel? Oh, <laughs> uh, what do I feel? Uh, I think the Bell Witch is a legend come to life. Good and, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know what that means. So as much as I'm trying to no, I mean, like, I, because I, I keep being and, and I'm sure this will really become the most i mean this is always the most common question is like do you believe the bell witch is real yeah i believe the bell witch is real but i don't believe that there was a spirit haunting the bells in 1817 to 1821 that's not what i believe Mm -hmm. i don't know historically if the bell witch was real at that time but she sure as heck is today so i'm curious to know (laughs) more or learn more about her because there is a life to that character that extends far beyond the the books and people's spooky tales. And and there's, you know, like Brandon talked about it, and I can't remember if it's in the movie or not, but Brandon talks about, he talked at length 
about how he doesn't necessarily believe the bell witch was real, but he sure as heck respects it. He'll pay the proper amount of respect to that, to, to, to the witch, despite the fact that he doesn't know if she's a real thing. And that's kind of like after being there and being a part of it, I get it. Like that's where I'm at. So, but I'm still, I still want to think about it more. Like I, I want to consider, because the thing you have to understand is we were told coming into this, that we were going to experience things in Adams, Tennessee. You know, we were going to be haunted. We were going to have camera equipment malfunction and all these different things would happen to us. And none of them happen. I never experienced anything that I would consider out of the ordinary, ordinary while I was there. And yet I left with a very healthy dose of respect for the Bell Witch, her legend and who she might be, what she might be. Awesome. The Mark of the Bell Witch is being released when? So Tuesday, the 15th of December, and it'll be available on Amazon and Vimeo On Demand and uh, DVD and Blu-ray through smalltownmonsters.com. And that's the way we're doing it. Awesome. What, uh, what's in the works for Small Town Monsters in the uh, next year or so? Uh, we are doing uh, the, so yeah, we're launching a Kickstarter on February 4th that will fund <sighs> on the trail of UFOs, Dark Sky, <laughs> on the trail of Bigfoot, The Journey, on the trail of Bigfoot, The Discovery, and Howla, The Rougarou. Wow. As well yeah. As those are the kickstarted projects, and then there's also going to be on the trail of hauntings featuring Heather Mosier and <laughs> on the trail of like Michigan Mothman, <laughs> which is also supposed to feature Heather. Um, so there's a lot of stuff coming. Uh, and and honestly, yeah. there's probably way more than that. We, we're really trying yeah. to grow the, the YouTube content and especially the squad stuff. Yeah. We want to. We want to actually launch like some some made for squad content beyond just haunting. So we have a lot coming. Can you explain the YouTube thing since that's new? It's new for us too. So yeah, it's the most complicated. We're having to like educate people on what it is. And mm-hmm. I guess that's part of we knew that going into it is this is going to be a, a risk just doing this because YouTube memberships are a brand new thing. We're actually involved in like their beta. So um yeah, basically you go on our YouTube channel and you can click the link that says join and then you select a tier and at each tier there's more and more content. But basically it is a a one-stop shop for everything Small Town Monsters related except the films themselves. And that will be going forward that will include original content like on the Trail of Hauntings. So um, there's two podcasts. There's Small Town Monsters Squadcast, which is very centered around our movies like us talking about the, the process behind the movies and our experiences making the movies and then monsteropolis which is the show mark and i have done for a while you can watch that being recorded all of this is going to start being recorded live too we we moved into a new office space and we're setting it up to be like a full-scale live studio uh so we'll be recording live from there and then my favorite part of it are the production diaries, which is what Aaron has spent the better part of, of his time working on this doing. And that's just taking all the behind the scenes footage and putting it together in a way, you know, that, that you experience what a typical day on an STM shoot is like. Uh, and then 
there's other stuff. There's there's eyewitness reports, which are expanded interviews with witnesses. There's investigative reports, which are expanded investigator, you know, talks, uncut interviews. We think we're approaching like 20 hours of content on there already. And it's only been up for about a month. So it's just going to keep getting bigger. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I know that we, we've got a subscription (laughs) and we have so much. (laughs) So yeah, I love it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we're like really excited about it and hopeful about it. It would suck if it doesn't work out, but at the same time we've had a blast creating for it. So, and I think with time it will grow and become kind of its own thing. Like I think right now it's in the baby steps part, but honestly we're, it's already grown pretty substantially in the first month. So we'll see how it does going forward, but I really have high hopes for where this could go down the line. Well, we're going to let you go. Um, we've tortured you enough, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't repeatedly ask me to tell you spooky stories. So, oh yeah, yeah, I know. I enjoyed the knockdown between you both. <laughs> yeah, I was getting a text from her. This is fantastic. <laughs> well, yeah. Enjoy. This will be the one time that someone says that about something that I'm involved in. Oh, <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on here. And next time we'll make sure that we have it as a storytelling podcast with you. And Great. Uh, All right. <laughs> might not, not, might not make it. I might be oh, sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Technical issues, wrong microphone. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. one, this right. working. My leg <laughs> fell off shortly before the show. Yeah, that kind of thing. Things like that. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. Well, thank you again. And um, yep. yeah, uh, Mark of the Bell Witch, <laughs> December 15th. Yep. Fantastic. Thank you.
Burn on, dear flame, burn on There's a light in 